Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another fantastic uh, episode of uh, SFP Now. Uh, today we're going to do something uh, a little bit different later on. This is going to be a once monthly segment we have with Julian Chambliss, um in which he'll be talking to um, comic book creators, but comic book creators that, that are coming from you know an ethnic background that, 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 that have actually got something to say. Um, and his first interview, which I'm assisting with, is with one of the uh, creators of uh, Brotherman uh, Comics. So you've got that to look forward to later on. Uh, but before we get to that, joining me as always for the uh, TV discussion is um, my good friend Craig McKenzie and uh, Raisa Devereaux. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello, hey. Yeah, I'm feeling like Kermit the Frog here. I'm getting animated and <laughs> waving my arms. Yay! Okay, um, well, we've got four shows that we're going to discuss today. Uh, one of them, sort of like, uh, just, you know, come to the UK. Um, it's been playing in the States for a while. Um, you know, so I, I'd kind of like to talk about that, and we're going to talk about that second in the run-up. But let's first get with the big, big news this week, which is Arrow. Yes, um, they finally revealed who's in the grave. And spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for anyone who's still listening who doesn't know. It's Laurel Lance, the Black Canary. And, and, and that she's dead. Yeah, there, there are pros and cons to the death, uh, depending on how you come, come at it. I'm less concerned with the death in itself and more concerned with the, the PR around the death and some of the underlying assumptions of the producers made in terms of the mechanics of production and the death. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, the the fact that it was foreshadowed is something I never I never liked. You know, it was done as one of those those stings to entice viewers to keep watching because obviously interest in the show had started to wilt after season three. Yeah, and then you know, so they must have thought we'll chuck in a death. We don't know who it is yet, but we'll chuck some. You know, we'll we'll come up with something later. And they did that, and then throughout the season, they just kind of it was like an you know it was like a Doctor Who thing. It kept reminding you that someone was going to die without necessarily developing it in any way so yeah. you know but if you look back at some of the other deaths i've had in the show you know moira queen no one saw it coming yeah Tommy, no one saw it coming and those were right. great because right. they came out of nowhere you know right yeah and if you could delete all the scenes foreshadowing the death from earlier episodes the death would have been quite a shock yes mm. yes yeah that, that's something that uh that raisa points out in her article that she wrote in her dc musings as well is, is the fact that, you know, it was so telegraphed that by the point action came, nobody really gave a shit. Yeah, but the, the problem was, as soon as, you know, as soon as Laurel got offered the job as the new district attorney, I was like, okay, she'll be dead by the end of the episode. Yes. Because, you know, rightly so, they were giving her a decent send-off because, 
you know, that's what you do when you're getting rid of a character. But because we knew this was the episode and we've known about this whole season, as soon as, you know, significant moves start happening with a character that's not developed much, mm-hmm. you, they're going to die. They're going to die. That's, that's how that works. Yeah. And the other issue is, the, the apart from the telegraphing, which was insane, the telegraphing led to um, the paparazzi being aware of the death, and so they were hyper-vigilant, and they actually photographed the grave early, and it got spoiled on top of that. Yeah. And, and my second paragraph, and the, and the part of the part of my first point in the essay was, if you hadn't telegraphed the, the grave, the paparazzi wouldn't have been as hyper-vigilant, and we might not have had the leaks. Yeah, yeah. Yes. well, there would have been, you know, I, I guess they would have seen them filming a funeral scene, for an episode, but it could have been anything, and they, and they wouldn't, and they wouldn't have been the second. The second issue, and I and I honestly don't think the producers thought about this, is that the producers didn't take into account viewers like us who are older, uh, more experienced, been down a few more narrative roads, and I brought up Blake Seven. And I I said, you know, there's an entire generation thanks to Blake 7 and now another generation thanks to Game of Thrones that's just used to death. We just assume that the characters are going to die so that if you spend so that if you spend time saying we're going to shock you with a death, there's a whole segment of the of the uh, viewing population that's going to go. Oh, yeah, really? And and so the and so the mystery grave PR is just completely lost on us, even when it's executed well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I really don't think they took that into account. Definitely not. And there was, I mean, there's certain opportunities they didn't use. You know, they could have spent the entire season building Laurel up to be more significant in the context of the show. And you know, she could have had she could have had a lot of scenes with Barry in the crossover yes. to you know establish why Barry's there and looking upset. But now he's just upset because Oliver's upset and, you know, he vaguely knew her as well. I mean, they, yeah. could, they could have even just given her an episode to herself. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, there was, personally, you know, I instead of been... wasting time with her resurrecting her sister and all that, you know, she could have she could have essentially become the co-lead this season, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like she know, was but... initially, actually. Yes, she, she was. was. Yeah. But why, uh, what, what I find quite amusing about it is um, about, it must be, must, must have been back on the air now here in the UK for what, four weeks? Arrow and, and Flash. It's been mm-hmm. on for a few weeks. Um, when it came back, they Sky started this uh, little supplementary show which you can access on the red button. It's like a 15 minute magazine show talking about the, the, the DC shows that they've got on Sky One. Sort of like the Talking Dead, or yeah, it kind of or, covers all of them. But you know, yeah. they have they have a little bit of a studio audience and a couple of comic book experts on, and um, and and some 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 useless host that knows absolutely sod on about comics. Anyone who's looking for a quick paycheck, basically, pretty much. <laughs> Um, anyway, they were, you know, when, when when Arrow came back, along with Flash, one one of the shows they did was, um, you know, who, who's who's in the grave, mm. and one of the predictions that they made way before way before the actual episode airing was that it was going to be uh, Oliver Queen's sister, and but you know, that it makes some more sense. It, it did, and that was the one I actually thought would be because that that's the death that would have helped to set up Malcolm as the alpha villain going into season five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also um, I'm also a bit annoyed by the whole Malcolm, Damien, Dark thing because everything's changing between episodes. You know, you had this whole we're moving on with this whatever this plan is without you, 
And then in this episode, he was like, you promised me that you would keep me and Thea safe. And it's like, hang on, I thought you ousted this guy like last week. Yes. You know, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make yeah. sense. The, the, the writers ha- haven't thought it through. No. They, they rushed it. They rushed a lot of the scripting. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it might have been they, that they got uh, kerfuffled with having to launch Legends. Part of it just might be bad writing. It's hard to tell at this point. Yeah, I mean, announcing you're going to kill a character without knowing who that character is is, is bad news right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it either, it, either, it either means you're stupid or you're baiting the audience, in, case yeah. in, in which case you're also stupid. So it just it doesn't make sense either way. In this and case, they've not been building to it at all, so it just kind of happened. Yeah, in this case, we're kind of baiting the audience, I think. Yeah, I mean, if it, like I said, if it just kind of happened without any foreshadowing, then it would have been... It would have been a shock. It would have been, like, oh my god, they've killed Laurel, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But instead, it was like, oh, so that's who it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I still wouldn't have cared though because I'm not really a big, big, big fan of Laurel. I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of what they could do, especially since they plan to bring um, her Earth troop, her Earth two doppelganger into the Flash narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always liked the character. I haven't used her all that well, but I think Katie Cassidy's always been very likable, and you know. And what they did with her, with the alcoholism thing, was was pretty good. And uh, her being trained by Wildcat in season three, that just that was that was good, but it just kind of stopped. Yeah. You know what happened to him? Did he die? Did you know? No, he's still there. They just haven't used him. Yeah, but you know, he, you see him get sort of really badly beaten during the big street fight, and then he's never seen again. Yeah. No, he's yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, moving on to another show now, and won't spend too much time on this one because I don't think you or Issa have actually seen it. But uh, a new show called Congeny. Um, started on Sky One last week. Um, it's been on in the States for a while. It's um, And what it is, the setup is, um, you know, it's this couple, the, the, the former FBI agents, and they, they use this alien invasion as a chance to sort of like restart their lives and kind of hide in plain sight. Hide in plain sight from what exactly hasn't been revealed yet, but basically the entirety of Los Angeles has been taken over by some unseen alien force. Um, or, or you can see of them really are drones. Um, and it's become a police state um, to, to such an extent where, that nobody owns a car unless they're actually a member of the uh, of, of the police force or, or the military or something. Uh, they get around on bicycles and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's kind of like uh, one of these um, puzzle box shows. And it stars Josh Hongaway from from Lost. Um, it's his second go round at um, doing a lead project, um, and it also stars um, Sarah Wayne Cangis uh, of Walking Dead and Prison Break fame. And I've seen the first episode; kind of interesting, has some potential, but I've got a feeling that. You know, it's one that could go either way. You see, you've got a song like uh, Succeed by being a puzzle box thing. If maybe they keep it over the course of just maybe two or three seasons, if they actually have a plan for this, or it's going it's gonna run and run and run, or or, or run until it's get you know until it eventually gets cancelled. It's um, it's it's got got some interesting ideas, and it's like it's more you know exploring the uh, it's more more character development the, the you know versus an actual story from what I can tell. Hmm. It does sound interesting. I've just been reading over the, the Wikipedia article as well. It's one of, you know, has anybody else noticed that uh, all science fiction needs to have a mystery now? You know, can't they just tell a science fiction story? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they need to watch Star Wars The Force Awakens, and that, that's that's a good science fantasy story. I don't know whether it's about, you know, science fiction or stuff. It's but Star Wars fiction, is not science fiction, no. It's it more, more science fantasy, I guess, but because yeah. it's kind of like very King Arthur-ish, isn't it, really, in a sense? Yeah, yeah. Robin Hood. Um, Even then, that's inherited the J.J. Abrams mystery box style. Oh, yeah, you yep. know, such as how, 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 how is Rey so powerful in the Force when she hasn't been trained? Yeah, uh, there's all sorts of... Well, I mean, Star Wars has always had a kind of mystery about it, I suppose. But, you know, but then the reveal of Darth Vader came from nowhere, I guess. Uh, you know, I can't really put myself in the place of the time, but... I can. I was there. Um, I was there when, when Darth Vader said, Luke, I am your father. Yeah, I remember it shocking me when I was a kid because I didn't know. But, you know, also it has this cultural, you know, footprint now that... I suppose if you look at the first two films, they don't actually set it up at all. They don't actually ever imply that Luke's parents might be, you know, evil. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't know, uh, we don't know any at all. I mean, you know, so well, keeping on Star Wars very, very briefly for a while. I mean, uh, back in the eighties, you know, so like, there wasn't as much information leaked out about, you know, from film productions and TV productions. Uh, the only way you got information from them is, is is if you actually had access to it and. You know, the we didn't have the internet back then, so you know there wasn't as much potential to have information leak out beforehand. You know, sounds great. <laughs> so because of that, when 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 something when when a plot twist did actually happen in the film or TV series, a majority of people would have been genuinely surprised. Yeah, that doesn't seem to happen anymore, like at all. It it doesn't. It's sad. That's that's but that's one of the reasons why I, I saw like um, I really enjoyed the uh, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie to a point was because because we didn't know as much as what, about what was going to happen because they you know they they kept a lot of things very very quiet yeah turn and then you see it and it turns out there's nothing to keep quiet because it's all a pretty standard disposable story mm. True, but it's standard disposable story, which we didn't really know about until we actually yeah. went to see the standard disposable story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, um, but you know, with this Congeny, it's song like it's something I've not seen it. I've not seen very many reports on it online. Um, it's it's kind of like um, it's a bit like person of interest in that regard. Mm. As in, there doesn't seem to have been too much PR about it. Um, you know, I, I saw maybe seen brief references to it over the past year, but. N- Nothing that 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 seems to have been really bigging it up. So that's mm. why that's why when I watched it, I was quite surprised. A bit like Continuum in a lot of ways. That got um, you know, it had a cult following, but no one's you know, no one you spoke to would watch it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but from what I've seen, it's, it's it shows a lot of promise. But you know, it's fifty fifty. It could probably go either way. It could end up being really really good and maybe running for about three, maybe four years. Or it could end up being really, really crap and running for three or four years. Or it could just end up cancelled after the second season. Yeah, I always like it when these things, you know, they have a plan. So they've got, you know, like when Lost started, I mean, there's conflicting reports on it. But, you know, there seems to be a general consensus that they had two years. You know, they, they knew what they were going to do in and out in two seasons. And then it became a victim of its own success and just kept going and going and going. Mm-hmm. But, if you know, if you have a plan that you're going to spend three years telling a story and then it ends, then great. Okay, well, um, you know, for those in the UK that haven't seen it, it's available on Sky Catch-Up or, you know, obviously you can get it from other means, which we will not um, publicly condone on the air, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, but it is available um, on, on Sky Catch-Up. So, you know, if, if you haven't seen it, you know, give it a look. You might like it, you might completely hate it and come after me with um, a scimitar to chop my head off or something. <laughs> 
Um, so let's move on to something that's maybe on a little bit safer, safer ground here. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, what are you guys thinking about that? Because uh, I, I really liked this last episode. They're finally starting to actually inch toward whatever it is they're inching toward. Yeah. Um, though I'm interested, the, I found it interesting that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was the first Marvel Cinematic Universe property to tackle, well, it wasn't time travel, but to tackle the, the whole mechanics of, of that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, the whole pre-de- fate or predestination and prophecy thing. And, and like, that's yeah. how they handled it. They handled it pretty well. And I, thought, I thought it was actually very poignant at the point that Daisy realizes I wasn't here to save you, you were here to save me. Yeah, and it was, um, I'm 100% certain that uh, the past will be changed at some point in a future film. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, because they're not going to be like, yeah, we're not letting this TV show decide how our time travel mechanics work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they'll find some reason for time travel in a future film. It will happen. Yeah. If it has already. Uh, I think you guys are actually an episode ahead of me, maybe two. Because the, ah. the last one I seen was uh, the one with uh, the, the big mechanic guy and his brother. Ah, um, that was yes. that was very very good. Yeah, yes. that, that was a really good episode. I was actually uh, pleasantly surprised, and uh, you know, I hope they bring his brother back because he's you know he was a bit he was a bit of a douchebag, but he he winds up being quite likable by the end of it. Yes, yeah, yeah, they, and it was interesting how they did the whole normal people are prejudiced against those with abilities. Kind of thing, you know. Yes, they've got the whole mutant thing going on in, in Shield with the Inhumans because there's it's essentially the same thing. People in your midst do have powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they and again they can't actually say mutants, so they gotta get no. away about it a bit. Yeah, no. well, why can't they not say mutants? Is it? It's because Fox for legal reasons. Right, Fox owns the rights to X Men right now. Well, you know that that's ridiculous. It can maybe 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 it can just say mutants. It's just a fucking word. It's not. You know. Yeah. It's it, you know it's not unique to X Men. You know you had you had mutants in in the old Butt Rogers series back in the day, in in the pilot episode of that. or called mutants. You didn't see Fox trying to sue them. There'll be a there will be a legal definition of mutant as it as it occurs in in films like this or TV shows like this. So I imagine that you know they'll be able to say mutant in a in the sense of you know a random mutation in something or whatever but they won't be able to use mutant in the context of someone having superpowers yeah i'm annoyed about this maybe they should just call them mutoids (laughs) (laughs) i think think humans are good enough because it it gives you what you need yeah Yeah. plus plus i think inhumans are from the comics anyway so yes so they're essentially yeah they're essentially mutants but their powers need to be activated by something that's Mm -hmm. all that's the only difference really you know, um, yeah, and you know, it's basically certain human beings with mutant gene in their DNA that that that's activated by by something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is exactly the same as mutants anyway. True. Um, but yeah, that, that that episode with his with his brother was pretty good. Um, I'm not sure how far we are behind here in the UK. The, it's the, just the one, US, I think. Is it just yeah, it's just episode? one. There there have been some gaps on all the shows, the mini gaps. Yeah, well, in we schedules. We had a gap last week with uh, Lucifer, isn't it? You know, they didn't, they didn't show an episode last week, so you know, the next episode coming is the, um, you know, is is going to be probably on Amazon at midnight tonight. Mm. There's only two left, I think, isn't there? Is it something like that? Mm. Please let it end. <laughs> I've been quite enjoying it actually. Some weeks more than others, but I, I do quite like it. 
I think it's um, it's getting a lot deeper than I thought it would. Yeah, I mean, I I I liked it some weeks and other weeks I've not liked it so much. But it's just sort of like uh, as as my reviews have, have indicated, um, it's it's had had a lot of ups and downs. But I just think that they, you know, if they're coming to the end of the season now, we need to see. Uh, the darker side of Lucifer. They need to sort of get rid of a bit of this smarminess and add a bit more more edge to the character. Yeah, I mean they are starting to get a, a, a they're starting to get a handle on what this show is about and what the more interesting parts of it are. I mean the first the first few were that boring old Lucifer solves crime thing, but now they're focusing more on the background elements because they're more interesting. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, the, the same thing is true of iZombie. You know, that's another detective show, but the character stuff is what everybody's there to see. And you know, if you if you have a crime going on in the background as a you know as a kind of distraction to that, or if it can inform the background stuff, then great. But you know, usually I'm like, all oh, right, I don't care about these. Que- I'm questioning this potential murderer. You know, mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, is there anything else that we'd like to add about Agents of Shield before we move on? I'm just I'm, I'm very glad that um, Hive is finally getting up and going. Yeah. I said this I said this last week, but he's continuing to actually affect things, and yeah. uh, and and Gideon Malik is being affected by him more directly now. Yeah, I wonder what he saw in his future vision as well. I know. Um, you know, because I, I, I'm getting the sense that he's not as you know, he's not getting what he thought he was going to out of this partnership anymore. No, no. Mm-hmm. Um, which was always going to happen, obviously. Yes, um, yeah. It's humility. He'll end up being taught a lesson in humility, but it'll be a bit too late. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm fairly certain that flash forward is going to be disappointing, though. You probably, yeah. probably. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're in space and then a Quinjet catches fire. So what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think with the you know with the Powers Booth character, it'll be much needing lesson in humanity, like you say, because you know, pretty much throughout most of the season, he's been the most unlikable character on 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 the series. Yeah, but he's a great villain presence. I think you know he's one of those people that when he's around, you know that he means business. Yeah. He was a bit like the um, I forget the the Hydra guy's name, the the immortal Hydra guy who got shot in the back by Coulson, you know, and that was the end of him. Oh um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm blanking, but I know you're yeah. talking. About. He he was good at the time, but he, you know the way he was written out was horrible. So Malik is like a a better version of that, really. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, I've, I've seen Powers Booth in other things, and it's like you say, whenever he plays a thing, and he really does mean business. I remember him in Twenty Four when when he took over the presidency and was getting more 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 right wing than the previous guy. Yeah, and, you yeah. know. He, he, he did all, he did his utmost to prevent Jack Bauer from being able to do his job. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like um, he's, he's a good actor when it comes to playing those roles, but and but I've never really seen him do much else. He's always always seems to be playing playing the villain. Yes, some actors like to play at their strengths. You know, if you're good at playing a villain, play a villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, the last show that we're going to discuss um, is one that Reese hasn't been watching, unfortunately, but, you know, sort of like, um, it's right down the street because it's romance, it's set in Scotland, and, um, you know, it's got got good character drama to it. Uh, Outlander Series 2 started um, in the States this weekend, and um, also on Amazon, and... Um, we we kind of uh, it kind of picks up from where the last season left off. Jamie and um, I forget the name of the character, the, the the woman character. Claire. Jamie and Claire have um have sort of made their way to uh to France, 
um, and they're hoping to try and try and prevent the the Jacobites from being wiped out um, in the uprising. And it's quite a shocking episode. This because you know we 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 sit we're sitting down waiting to see Jamie Claire what they're going to do in France, and all of a sudden we we're confronted with the fact that Claire's actually been brought back to her present day in 1948. Mm, yeah, um, again, you know, the theme of this week seems to be flash-forwards, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, um, essentially it's a flash-forward because we don't see what, what got her there. And it tells you pretty early on that they fail as well. So, you know, you're kind of going into the, the flashbacks to the, the past to, um, you know, knowing that what they get up to isn't going to really end well. Mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see how that comes about because... Outlander is a very, very character-driven show, so the kind of the plot happens because of the characters, and I think um, I, I do think it'll do a good job of setting that up and in watching their plans fall apart as time goes on. Yeah, I mean there were some proper, proper brilliant character moments last last year, and um, I think we're probably going to get the same this year. I mean, so like, we've seen Jamie and um, and Claire hooking up with the French aristocracy in some of the flashback scenes or flash-forward yeah. scenes, as it, as it were. Um, but what what I was particularly impressed with was the um, was 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 the guy that plays plays Claire's husband in in the present day timeline in nine forty eight timeline. Um, you know, such incredible acting. Yeah, I mean, he manages to play two completely different characters, and you know, and it's and it's easy to distance them from one another. I don't ever think of the other one when you know when he's playing one of them. Mm. And just him, um, you know, the way he was uh, trying to resolve uh, everything he'd heard and try to move on from it was was brilliant. You know, the as you said, the acting was was just incredible. I was kind of captivated through all these scenes, all the scenes in the nineteen forty eight. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially the part where she tells him he's pregnant and the child's not his; it's Jamie's, and you know, and and this this child she's carrying in her in her womb is sort of like uh, it's like two hundred years old already by yeah. default. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, it's, yeah, and then there was a the fact that she promises to move on from it, um, but only because Jamie told her to. That was, you know, that was a bit of a burn. Yeah. And, you know, but what I liked was the fact that he, he almost did turn into a, in, in, into the, into that crew soldier. He, he, he literally, he was, he was so het up, angry and built up and tense that, he, you know, he looked like he was very nearly going to bleeding strangle or a snapper or something. Yeah, I mean, he's moment. always had a temper, you know, as we saw in several episodes last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was... He, he beat someone up in an alley, I think, in one episode mm-hmm. uh, last season. Yeah, so he's always had a temper, and I guess that that's in his blood. But the difference is, he is a he's a kind guy who you know removes himself from the situation before he explodes. Whereas he is a his predecessor is a his historical doppelganger from 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 the past uh, was a complete sadist and um, yeah. you know homosexual to boot. Yeah, it was. There, yeah, there are certain episodes of Outlander I'll never be able to watch again. Just it's, it's too much for me. But yeah, um, you, you talk about the see the ones in which Jamie is raped by him. You know, I, yeah. I, I found that quite difficult viewing myself. Yeah, it's the reason I don't watch Game of Thrones because you get that almost every week. I think, but um, yeah. yeah, at least in Outlander, it's not all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I've, I've been I've been really impressed with it. Um, it's not usually the sort of series I go in for because it's so like it's most you know it's kind of like 
romance sort of thing but the thing that keeps me going back is like you say it's got some really strong character stuff in it yeah I mean Ronald D. Moore and the people he's got working with him are very good writers Mm -hmm. you know and um, yeah whenever he does a show I'm going to watch it doesn't matter what goes on I don't know I mean Ronald D. Moore I didn't particularly enjoy his take on Battlestar Galactica Um, I I loved it yeah I'm I'm a fan of the classic series and um, as far as I'm concerned that remake just raped my childhood so (laughs) let's move on Um, but whenever Ron D. Moore works with Ira Bear that's when I'm going to watch because when he's working with Ira Bear you you get his his A game his full on A game and um, that for me is what keeps me coming back to Outlander because Ira Bear is involved with it as well yeah, it's. I mean, it's got a good team working on it, and I'm. I'm really excited to see what directions this season will go in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So. So my. Um. So we've got a little bit of time left. Is there anything else you want? You guys want to sort that quickly discuss? Um, I, I suppose we could throw in a bit of chat about legends since it's kind of toddling along. Yeah, I. I. Um. I get that some fans are are upset that Arrow had to do a lot of heavy lifting for setting up Legends, but now that the setup is done and we're actually in the show, it's actually my favorite of the DC shows. See, I'm finding it a bit. It's it's missing some real, you know, it's it's missing some really obvious opportunities, like that latest episode with a you know, do I kill Hitler sort of question. They yeah. ended up focusing on the fact that you know Ray Palmer might have an illegitimate child that he doesn't know about in the past. Yeah, and it's, and, and it's again, you know, let's go back to the soapy romance, you know, teen drama side of things rather than actually deal with the big issues. True. And that, that really bothered me because it was, hang on a minute, you know, this is your legacy, and all you're worried about is the fact that you know you weren't you weren't there for this child that you knew nothing about. And that's, that's the CW, though. That's not the show itself. Yeah, but it also that's came from nowhere as well, because he mentions it just before he left. He was seeing someone. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, I thought the whole point of setting these things up in other shows was that you would get to see the things that would inform the other show. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so like um, the last one I seen was when they go to the uh, future of um, of of Star City and they bump into uh, the the Arrow, but it's Diggle's son. Mm, yes, mm. yeah, that, that was, was actually okay. very good. Yeah, it missed it missed a few opportunities again. You know, you had the whole Oliver Queen was only in what two or three scenes. Yeah, and well, uh, and it's like, oh, they've been, we've been looking for you. It's like, well, clearly not very hard. Okay. <laughs> Because, you know, he was he was hiding in his old lair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't know? Is where did he get that prosthetic arm from so quickly? Uh, he already had it, I think. Mm. You see it when they first go in; it's like lying on the floor or something. Oh, right. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see that. I mean, it's just so like uh, you know, it kind of like uh, that. That just seems to come out of nowhere to me. <laughs> seen uh-huh. um, well, we're on, we're on the subject of legends. Uh... <laughs> I'd like to do a quick shout out. Uh, the young actor by the name Mitchell Mitchell Kuman. Uh, yes, he he, um, he played the thirteen-year-old uh, Ig Parish in the uh, Daniel Radcliffe movie Horns. Well, he's actually landed the role of uh, the younger version of Heatway, which is going to be in a forthcoming episode. Um, I think it airs on the twenty-first. Hmm, okay. So um, you know, it, you know, that's something that might be worth keeping an eye out for. Uh, the episode apparently is directed by Rachel Tangani, who who directed the Dot Two season finale last year. All right, um, and it's written by Chris Fedek and Matthew Matthew Manga sort of mm. thing. So, um, but basically, it's a we we basically meet the younger version of Mick Rory. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I wonder if they'll waste that opportunity too. <laughs> 
I, I don't know, I mean, song. I kind of don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it because, uh, you know, Mitchell Kuhlman, um is a little bit prettier than than the actor that plays uh, than, than Dominic Purcell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, I, I I don't know if they're going to do something. Maybe shave his head and um, you know knock a few of his teeth out or or blacken a few of his teeth or you know. To make him look a bit more, more, more dominant personish, because mm. he's, yeah, he's, he's quite fair in the picture that I've got here. When you know, got a picture of him side by side, and <laughs> or maybe it'll be one of those. Well, I can't believe this guy turns into that guy. Yeah, you know, sort of situations. Mm. But it's basically, basically, the in the episode, it's gonna explore the moment in which Mitt Rory first becomes fascinated by fire. Mm. Mm. It'll probably build one of those. You know, oh look, he used to be so innocent, mm-hmm. and now he's a homicidal maniac. Yeah. But, and it'll probably it'll probably happen in about two minutes as well. I imagine it'll be that quicker transition. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, be 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 interesting to see nonetheless. I mean, I'm quite enjoying uh, Legends of Tomorrow, but to be honest, The Flash is still my favourite DC show. Yeah, definitely for me as well. But you know, the, you know I think uh, Legends has just so much potential, and it is a lot of fun. They've got a, a lot of good characters in there they're just not using them very well you know and the thing is you've still got the whole question of will will carter resurrect hanging over the show i mean i actually thought that um kendra was going to run into him in 2147 because she was you know she was having flashbacks that ultimately didn't really tell you anything no i i have a feeling that what's going to happen there is that kendra is going to end up living in the past with a past incarnation of him because the the writers have established in interviews that uh, she can't reincarnate that uh, he's not going to reincarnate until she's dead. Mm-hmm. That they have to reincarnate together, so they, that it deals with the age gap, age gap together. Right. And and so she and so as long as she's still alive, all they can do is make past versions of him. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm finding quite troubling about Legends is the guy that plays Vandal Savage. You know, he's he, rubbish. He looks yeah. apart. He looks apart, but you know, he's he, he's he doesn't quite have the gravitas and. The um, you know the 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 skill to actually execute part is there's not much charisma there. I mean, this, this, this is going to sound horrible, but the, one of the biggest problems with his accent, he has trouble delivering a lot of his dialogue. You know that's why you never hear him speak for very long because when he does speak for very long, it just sounds weird. He's actually natively Danish, so he can't yeah. really do anything about it. Um, but um, I just. The big issue I have is part of it might be his performance, but I think part of it, too, is how they've written him. I don't think they've done their version of Vandal Savage any favors compositing him with the priest guy from the Hawk storyline. I don't think compositing those storylines has been the best move. No, I, w- I want to see the, um, you know, the, the proto-human thing that, you know, gets mutated by a, a meteorite and then he lives forever, you know. yes. Yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't mind. Cause, I mean, just the fact that they've aged Vandal Savage down to a mere five thousand years is yeah. is part of the problem right there. Um, yeah, and I, also, I would, yeah. sorry, it, yeah, and also every time he encounters another villain from either of the TV series, he's kind of you know, it's like, oh yeah, look how much better this other villain is. You know, it <laughs> happened with um, Damien Dark, and he was only in one scene. Yeah, that's, and, uh, that's, that's Neil McDonough for you, bless. Yeah, and yeah. even Ra's al Ghul, he was more, you know, he was yes. more threatening. Yes. Mm. Even though he seemed a bit stupid in that episode. I was like, oh, I never noticed this before, but it looked like Sarah had been through the training before. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to let you go because it's plot convenient, even though I didn't let people go easily before. Mm. Yeah, but it, it does help explain why 
he has issues with her relationship with Nissa because he he remembered that she was the woman who who left before. So of course he understood that she would leave again. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's um, it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like an interesting show, and I'm hoping I'm hoping that you guys do. I'm hoping it gets better. Um, we already know it's got another season, don't we? Yeah, yes. and apparently yeah. the cast won't change that much. That much. Maybe just a couple more people. Yeah, yes. or, you know, one or two people get swapped out. Yeah, well, I can't see them keeping hold of the same cast because obviously Dominic Purcell and the other guy, they're, they're now doing Prison Break again. So yeah. I, don't think they, I don't think they're going to be able to hang around. That's only a mini-series, though. Yeah, they, they their schedule might change, but they, they'll probably just come and go. It'll, it'll be interesting. I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping that we get... Um, that we get uh, Vixen in there. Yeah, I'd like to see that too because I, I just recently seen the episode of uh, Arrow in which he guest stars. She's really a, she's great. an awesome character, and they've they've planned a second season of her animated uh, webisode, webisode series. But I'd, I'd like to get I'd like her to get more live action exposure than the one episode that she got this year. Yeah, so, that's got to be one of the rare occasions where the animated voice has actually played the live action version of something. Yes, yeah. Um, and it it, ha- it was really well done as well. It yeah, was. I was, you know, I was like, oh, can we have more of this? Yeah, I wanted more of that. You know, I, I kind of, um, I, I warmed to her right away. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she was really good. And, um, and you know, she mixed things up a little bit. And she was kind of what they needed for um, for bringing down Dark. But maybe they'll bring her back before the end of the series. They just yeah. haven't announced it yet. She's just yes. she's just my type of woman. Any woman that can sort of like channel animal totems and stuff like that, I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> into, you know? Yeah, yeah uh, I don't think we'll be seeing Constantine in uh, Legends Season 2. I just don't think that's going to happen. A lot's going to depend on Matt Ryan's schedule because yeah. his schedule is a massive variable. He's apparently in demand in terms of stage work and stuff. So Yeah, yeah it's uh, a, it's a shame, though, because Constantine, um, you know, I, I'm still I'm still mourning the loss of that series. I would just like to see him and Rip Hunter arguing while being very British. That would be yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, or, you know, or just... Or, or just have any of the magic magical characters on on apart apart from the hawks and have just overtly magical because the thing is yeah. the thing with the hawks is the the magic for the hawks is kind of passive whereas yeah. Const, whereas Constantine and Vixen are active magic users yeah yeah well, and so there would be a, some some really interesting debates you know about about what that means relative to time travel and then relative to the forces that Rip understands what's the name of that character from DC Comics the lady she wears top hat and she's a musician Zatanna Zatanna I would love to <coughs> sorry yeah I think they should bring her in you know, a logical way to bring her in, though, was because um, Vegas is a tannic <laughs> and yeah. it would be just completely logical and a, and a really great way to bring Mama Smoke, um, Donna Smoke, in it, into it apart apart from, you know, just being Mama Smoke, is yeah. to have her just mention in passing, oh, I know about the magic. You know, I'm in, I'm in Vegas. we got some magic users hiding in plain sight over there, you know. And yeah, she's just making a living as a magician and no one realizes that she's really magical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except that that's who she is, and that's how she is, and that's and that's how her father functions, according to what I've read. Yeah. So, so it, that would be a very logical way to an organic way to actually just bring it in without actually, with without actually disrupting massive storylines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, the Smallville version of Zatanna was pretty well done when when she appeared. Yeah, mm. but we we didn't see enough of her. That that's no, thing. She, she was in what two or three episodes. Yeah, but only very briefly as well. Yeah, it's but all. you know she was. She was good from when she appeared. True. 
Um, but yeah, I'd, I would like to see a bit more magic users, and I would also like to see Snart join Team Flash after his, um, I guess the you know everything that he's been through and in the the life changing world. Well, the, the, the fans who are familiar with the Flash storylines are, are wondering if he's actually going to become Citizen Cold, mm. if that's part of his arc. Mm-hmm. So. Could be. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to see him back in back in Flash anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because he's still their best villain, although they haven't done Mirror Master yet. No. That's got to be next season. It has to yeah, be. That's got to be next season. Well, we've, we've still got to sort out parallel universes from this season. But the great thing about Flash is that they've got so much stuff that their seasons are actually overstuffed. Yeah, I would like to see a season three just be Barry running between universes, unable to get back. <laughs> <laughs> every episode or every couple of episodes he finds himself in a different universe you know yeah, yeah I, just, I just seen the reveal of the reverse flash last week um you know with with um well sorry the reveal of zoom and it being yeah. and it being sort of like um the other universe flash and i thought shit yeah, yeah. there's gonna be more stuff with that yeah it still doesn't quite make sense it, it probably will when they get done but i think it will eventually considering yeah. that it was becoming more likely that it was going to be Jay as uh, as it was getting closer to the reveal, but yeah. I think um, yeah, there's more to it. There's stuff in the future, and you know, and I like the idea of the the sickness as well. Mm. The, blue, the blue lightning being indicating that a speedster is dying was a clever twist. Mm-hmm. And then you had um, past Wells show Barry, um, you know, a weight harness uh, yeah. his own speed force without without cheating, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all it's all good stuff at the moment. Um, the the only show we're not really discussed this week is Supergirl, but I think we'll save that for next time. Yeah, yeah once um, it's finished for yeah, season that, one, and, and it probably won't get renewed. I don't know. I'm surprised that they're holding back on the the news of it. If 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 it if it doesn't get renewed, I hope that they use the the multiverse as an excuse for us to at least see Kara on one of the other shows in some capacity. Well, you know, they could just introduce the Earth One version of her. Yeah, Power you Girl know. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But who knows, like you need to have you kinda need to have Superman for that and then, you know, how to set up Superman in less than a year, you know. Yeah. I mean I'm not sure I'm not sure it's gonna get renewed. It, I don't think it's doing too great ratings wise. I think it was always pretty high up in its time slot, wasn't it? No, it's not. It's it's getting CW level ratings, which for this which for CBS is not good. Mm. Um, the it, it would be okay if it were not such a special effects heavy show. Um, but the special effects budget relative to the ratings is it's going to be iffy. They're they're obviously putting putting off making the announcement because they're probably still just crunching numbers. Yeah, it's weird because it doesn't look it doesn't look any better than Flash does. Yeah, but you got to understand, it's CBS. The problem is that the Supergirl should have always been a CW show because it was yeah. a CW show. Um, the fact that they aired it on CBS is is what's going to doom it if it's doomed. Yeah, it was just yeah. them. Yeah, the head of the CW didn't want his network to be the, the DC show, the network. You know. They would do worse to become than to become the DC network, frankly. Yeah, um, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. The the crossover gave it a boost, and that's probably going to encourage them to do more of that. Yeah, but the problem is that the, the crossover involved two shows that are filmed in different cities. Yeah, and so it's they can't do that every week. And if the crossover no. is what gave them the ratings bump, they they they've really got to think about what it is they actually want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, what they what they need to do in season two is just you know. Stop beating about the bush with Superman and finally introduce him, you know, and like properly with an actor. Yes. Yeah, you know, so like, uh, bring, 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 um, you know, I, I've got about as much charisma as Tree back, Tom Welling back. I like Tom Welling. 
I thought, um, yeah, I always want. I, I still want to see Superman, and apparently he's going to be doing a show on CBS next year. Mm. Uh, so, you know, another cop show because we need more of those. Oh god. <laughs> Um, but you know he'll just be relatively down the road, won't he? So he could yeah, yeah. he could show up for small appearances as Superman. Mm. Yeah, I mean you know they can't really bring Dean Kane back because he's getting a bit long in the tooth for it now, and he's already playing Kara's dad. So yeah, yes. Kara's not dead and never was going to be dead, Dad. Mm. Yes, because you because you don't bring in Dean Kane for a role like that and kill him off in an episode. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's a structure thing. I would like to see them. Um, I would like to see what they're going to do with Cadmus, though. Yeah, I, I really did appreciate the fact that we went into season one with the debate about whether Hank Henshaw was um, was a cyborg Superman or Martian Manhunter, but the way they're playing it is they might be able to do both. Yeah, and um, I, it'd be good if they brought back Martian, well, they, they will obviously bring him back, but they could have, you know, cyborg Superman be the villain of next season if they get one, and you have some other actor playing the human version of Martian Manhunter. Yes. Because, you know, he's a shapeshifter and they can do that and it gives them a yes. chance to get a new cast member. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be interesting. Um, but then again, the, the actor that plays, you know, David, what, what's his name? David, David Harewood. David he's Harewood. A, he's awesome he's on legs. fantastic. Yeah, he was, he was really flat and bland in the first few episodes, but once, you know, once we found out why that was, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's actually one of my favourite characters and the, and the scene where he's, He's when well, he's been outed and he's in the prison and he's sitting there dejectedly eating chacos. Um, yeah. Kind of just justifies the whole thing. Um, it's it's rather wonderful. Okay. Yeah, this, the Smallville Martian Manhunter was excellent as well. Mm-hmm. Phil I, Morris. <laughs> I didn't actually see that, um, but then again, I kind of um, I only ever dipped in and out of Smallville because I just couldn't really be doing with uh, with with the with the total lack of charisma from from that lead. <laughs> You know, yeah, I, I only dipped in and out too. So. I mean, I seen a version. I seen I seen that remake that they did of the Fog, and he was oh, yeah. in that, and it was terrible. Yeah, that wasn't very good. It was yeah. it was awful. I thought I always thought that, that Tom Welling was a really good Clark Kent, and you know he was really settling into the whole Superman thing by the end of the show. And it's just a shame that we'll probably never get to see that. Mm, maybe. I mean, I'm you know I I um, I, I kind of um, out out the soup out the actors that played Superman. I'm still I'm still in the camp of Chris Reeve. Yeah, um, yeah. That's kind of impossible right now, though. I mean, I I enjoyed I I enjoyed sort of like Dean Cain's uh, light comedy portrayal of it in in Lois and Clark back in the day. Um, and you know, I've seen the other guy that played it back in the fifties. I've seen seen that TV series, which was um, I don't know, it was, it was different. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, the, um, the the best actor to portray it so far has been has been Christopher Reeve, and no one's really um, no one's really top that for me. Um, no. I'm with, I'm with you there. I'm with you. No there. one's really had the chance though. You know, like essentially, uh, Tom Welling was playing as close to the Christopher Reeve version as you'll get. Because you know they were heavily borrowing stylistically from the Richard Donner movies, and they were you know they were building him into that version of Superman, and I think they were doing it pretty well. But I think for Supergirl, actually, as much as I'd like to see Tom Welling in the role, I think they should just pick their own and start from mm-hmm. scratch. Yeah, get a new actor to do it. Yeah, um, you know, because if if they put Tom Welling in, everyone will be like, "Yeah, it's Tom Welling," and then all of a sudden it'll be, "Oh, hang on," you know, and then it would start to feel a bit familiar. And then yeah. you know, but if they pick their own, it lets them establish who he is what he stands for, how he acts, and no one will be comparing him to a previous version of the, the character played by that actor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Well, guys, um, it's been great having you on. I'm going to have to draw this to a close now because we're about to uh, introduce Jungin Chambliss and his new um, his new monthly se- segment, um, which is Beyond Impossible, in which he's talking to uh, one of the creators of uh, Brotherman, which is a you know pretty cool looking comic. So uh, check it out. But you know, I'm going to hand over to Jungin now. So thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. to uh, introduce a new segment here to uh, SFP now here on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. Um, we have um, with me Julian Chambers, who's um, you know an expert on, um, on on black culture and black comics, and um, you know we, we're, we're introducing a new segment called uh, Beyond Impossible, and uh, the guest featured first is from uh, Brotherman Comics. So I'll pass on to Julian right now to do the introductions. Hi, this is Julian Chalice. Thanks a lot, Ian. Um, this is a new segment for Sci-Fi Pulse now. I'm really uh, happy for the opportunity. Uh, the segment name, Beyond Impossible, sort of references a kind of classic idea that I think we see when we look at the impact of uh, minorities and people of color when they imagine the public sphere. Sometimes that's a shock to the mainstream, uh, and it sort of pushes them to think beyond what they assume is impossible. So that's what inspires the title. With that in mind, of course, it's really great for us to have Daoud say your last name for me. Daoud Anyabwile. Daoud Anyabwile. 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 Um, yeah, I was I was a little bit about my black career with that, but um, nonetheless, <laughs> uh, Daoud is of course an icon when it comes to independent comics. If you are familiar with the history of independent comic movement. You know, of course, that Brother Man is a character that emerged in the early 1990s that was in many ways a revolutionary for a lot of fans of color. Uh, one of the sort of like singular examples of an independent comic that really penetrated into very at least the black mainstream, in many ways the comic mainstream uh, for those select fans that were able to get in. And quite frankly, a lot of people did get to see it. So it's really great for us to have him here. And of course, coming at this time, he just completed a great Kickstarter for a continuation of the Brother Man story with Brother Man Revelation. Um, so, Daoud, can you tell us a little bit about 
uh, what this new Kickstarter means in terms of uh, your experience with Butterman and, and how it's sort of connected to that original run. Okay, well, the original run, um, we had 11 books out, and this is between, the first issue came out in 1990, and we introduced it at the Black Expo New York, and between 90 and 94 to 95, we had put out 11, actually 10 books. Number 11 came out in 96. And during that time, we basically going from an unknown company in 1990. We were independent the whole time, but we moved uh, 750,000 books within that period of time. And it ended on issue number 11, uh, mainly because, you know, it was a family business uh, during that time. Myself, my brother Guy, who's the writer, had another brother, uh, Jason, who was doing the production management. My father was the, the senior consultant and my mother was administrative assistant. So basically we just pulled from family to help get things done because that's how we were used to doing things. Um, but what happened was the day number 10 came out, my mother passed away while we were doing the Black Expo New York. So that was one of the major shows that we were doing. So it impacted the company heavily because it was a family operation. Right. So the following year, I was working on number 11, and then my father passed away. And then number 11 ended up being sitting in a box for a year until I was able to just, I, I, I got a new job in New York doing game animation. I just used money from that job to put out number 11. But then it was kind of overwhelming to try to continue doing Brother Man at that pace. And at the same time, I wanted to get studio experience because prior to that, I never had studio experience. A lot of my, my uh, skills came from, you know, being a street artist in Philly, like airbrushing shirts and running my own shops in different parts of the city. So um, no, the, the book we just put out, Brother Man Revelation, was slated to come out back in 96 or 97. You know, that was really supposed to be num Brother Man number 12 because we okay. were telling the origin of, of Brother Man. Wow. <laughs> it ended up being a 19-year gap because a lot of, you know, you know how life is. You know, you right. plan on doing one thing, something else comes up, and then you run to drama here, you have this happen there. Next thing you know, five years go by and 10 years, and you're like, wow. You know, and it really turned out to be, well, basically 20 years now. Right. It's where Brother Man is now being reintroduced, but fans have been waiting loyally all these years right. uh, for the continuation of the saga. So this is not like a new story. This continued where the, where the book left off years ago, but the way we designed it, if you don't have any of the other books, you can follow this one because it, it stands on its own. And this is the first installment of a trilogy of a, of a three-part book, basically like we're illustrating the movie. Okay. Uh, so much there in that answer. I want to uh, go back over a couple of things. I mean, one, I, I wasn't aware exactly of your background in terms of your art training when you were doing the original comic. It's one of the things I think a lot of people remember about Brother Man is how evocative the art is and how much the story is sort of grounded in a kind of urban experience, an urban aesthetic. Um, but as a self-trained artist, I mean, what were some of the things that inspired the look and feel and, and, and sort of taste of Brother Man? Uh, and, you know, that's, that's really like a, a, a myriad of things of life experiences um, going back even to my childhood. But um, if I was to talk about the key, the, the key influences, you know, because I was an art major all throughout high school. Um, so, you know, my high school art teacher, he was one of my my main main influences. Um, post high school, when I hit about 18, 19, I started airbrushing at the mall in Philadelphia called the gallery. That gallery was like the largest mall in, in, in Philly. And everybody would come down there and 
this was like 80, 84, 1984. So it was really when the hip hop movement was really jumping off. And um, in airbrushing, at the time I was doing it, I was trendsetting in Philly because it wasn't as popular as it is now. So I was like uh, one of the the, uh, uh, the vanguards in that area. Okay. And my style was kind of like rooted in what I was doing in high school. Because when I was in high school, you know, I was into uh, DJing and hip hop and all that stuff. But I also liked sci-fi. I was a science fiction fan. And and I had my share of comics when I was younger, but then I, I moved past the comics by the time I hit ninth grade. And then I was just kind of just basically drawing my friends, like taking things that we did and turning them to stories. So um, when I was airbrushing, I was always basically the style that you see in Brother Man, that, that evolved over years of me doing these characters at the mall. Where okay. People come down, you know, fly girls come down, they want to be on a shirt, so I'll draw them on the shirt. Guys want to come out. I'm, I'm drawing them with the gazelles and all that other stuff during that period of time. And um, and so when we did the comic book, the comic was really like the way to uh, it was like natural phase to move past the airbrushing. And let's say, hey, let's 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 basically take what we're doing on the comic. I mean, on the shirts and put it into a two dollar comic book. Cool. Okay. So, you know, my I would say other influences would be like Ernie, Ernie Barnes of Good Times. I think every every young Black Kid was inspired by him. Uh, Overton Lloyd, uh, Parliament Funkadelics, who did a lot of artwork for Parliament Funkadelics. I remember when I was 14, I, I saw his work, and that was insp- inspirational. And um, Mort Drucker, Mad Magazine, and Jim, you know, Jim Davis, I mean, Jack Davis, I'm sorry. Um, you know, all those guys were always, like, I'd like loose, I'd like work that was loose and rough. I wasn't really into the tight, um, not to say, like, I don't like it. I'm just saying the way that I like to draw. I like to draw loose. I like to leave straight lines in the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like seeing that in other people's work. Like, mm-hmm. I'd rather look at, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, a pencil text animation than the final animation. I like mm-hmm. to see the, the, the line of action, the straight lines, the eye line, and I like to see them move, and I like to see the structure. And I like to draw like that. And I, to me, that's kind of like soulful and funky. You can see the, the movement in the line. Mm, that, that's something that Jungi and I were actually talking about before we brought you on, was how, how dynamic... The, you know the, the the drawings actually were you know right. it was like everything's in perpetual motion even even in in a moment that's on like relatively still mm-hmm. and, and that that actually goes back to like i said my high school teacher because really all of this is gesture drawing and when we were in high school that's all my teacher did I mean, we were doing gesture drawing he used to say you say mr hall we're gonna learn anything else you know but he he i gotta know gesture you got you know we used to always have to have our sketchbooks on on us and he said when you ride the subway and the trolley and go downtown whatever draw people on the bus and the train and we had to bring those drawings in the class and show them that we were actually out drawing people and to me it was fun because after a while you know i'm on the bus and i'm just watching what people are doing and i'm drawing them they'll know i'm drawing them and then you just start getting used to like how somebody slouches in the in the chair how somebody when they're standing up there and they're trying to talk to a girl and trying to be all cool and i'm like man look at his posture look how he's doing it you know so I was doing, that's why I say I was doing that since I was like 16, 17. And yeah. that, that's what basically, you know, it just carried over into the book. Well, you know, it's really interesting because another thing that really sort of defines Brother Man is this emphasis that you always see people talk about, about it being like a, a very urban aesthetic. And, and that means different things to different people, I think. But 
one thing that it seems to be universal in everyone's interpretation is that like you sort of capture black people and the black community and sort of black experience in a way that feels really authentic. And then, and now it seems clear it's because you were on the on the bus and on the train looking at people and going like that's how they do it. And that's how I, I mean that's who I roll with. You know, I come home and in the family, you know, my father was a, a activist and you know, um, you know, our basement was like a black history library. You know, my mom was a public school teacher in the Philadelphia public school system in North Philadelphia. Um, so, you know, to me, I used to just draw the environment and we used to just, just have fun doing that. And, you know, I knew a lot of graffiti writers. I mean, just naturally. I mean, Philly was that type of city. You know, uh, a lot of the graffiti culture originated there that a lot of people don't know. And it has a lot of its own original hand styles and things like that. Things that you had to know like among writers, even though I didn't proclaim myself a graffiti writer because I wasn't outright vandalizing, I still knew the style and right. I understood the style and I always say, you know, I want to take this and, and turn it into something bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked hip hop. I like making instrumentals. We like DJing and scratching and doing all that stuff in the basement. But I kept saying, you know, hip hop is bigger than this. So to me, Brother Man is the 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 larger scope of how I saw our lives coming up. Like like uh, to me, hip hop was kind of like on a borderline of an alternate universe, because when you're sampling old songs, you're resurrecting ancestral energy, people who died and passed on. But you're bringing their voices back, but you're chopping it up. So they're still talking and they're still speaking, but they're but you just loop the little piano loop. And now it sounds surreal. Mm-hmm. So coming up that I would always absorb myself into those instrumentals and I would look at the graffiti and all that stuff. And I said, man, this is this is all coming from another world. Mm-hmm. So when I created uh, Big City with my brother, it gave me an opportunity to explore how I saw that feeling. That's why I say it's bigger than hip hop, because it, it's it's uh, it's basically like a universe that I always felt like was a microcosm, something that. Or alternate world. So that's why in Brother Man, it has its own subway map. It feels like what we know, but it's not what we know. Because when people say it's Brother Man, the 60s and the 70s, I say no, because they're not on a Roman calendar, because they're not African-American. It's not Africa or America. There's no Romans. It's another universe that just has the soul and the feel of what we know. But we created our own currency, our own uh, subway system, our own laws. So it puts it more in the realm of science fiction. Um, and I think it's going to take people, some people, it takes them a while to pick up on that because we're dealing with, like my brother says, we're balancing the factual between the fictional. Right. A lot of people, they see the factual, so they think, oh, he's probably wearing Adidas. I said, no, there's no Adidas in this company, in this in this comic. They have their own company, their own brands, you know? So, it, so it's basically like a sovereign black universe. Basically, like, if there was an Africa-America, that's what Brother Man, Big City would be. Because right. as African-Americans, we don't have our own land. We don't have a home or a place. So Big City is that place that we own and we live, we live in. So that's the bigger, that's the bigger side of brother man that some people may not be aware of but that's where we create from right you know and i i I think it's great that you mentioned that because like i think when you really do look at the detail that does come through right it is a sort of like complete world and i i've always been curious and you just you talked a little bit about it like how much of that is all growing from some of the scholarship that sort of came out in the 70s some of the philosophies are like, you know, someone like a Sun Ra or some of the sort of Afrofuturist kind of ideas. Or, and you say your, your, your basement was a black history uh, library. I mean, what were some of the books that you were exposed to that you sort of married into the hip hop? Because I think a lot of what you said really resonate with hip hop studies mm-hmm. too. 
Mm-hmm. The hip hop is a is a language of uh, is a language that allows people to sort of in a, in a way of people sort of dealing with uh, the post civil rights post uh, post nineteen sixties uh, landscape, right? It really becomes a tool mm-hmm. for community empowerment. So, can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that sort of in there in that philosophy? Yeah, because um, to me, I, like I, I looked at even when hip hop uh, really started taking place um, uh, for me. Like I remember my when I was in seventh grade, my oldest brother came home from Howard University and he gave me Grandmaster Flash Super Rap, and that was the first rap record I ever heard. And I was like, man, dude's just talking on top of a beat, and they're just going on and on for like twelve minutes, you know. Average right. records weren't like that. Right. And um and that blew my mind, you know, as a kid. And then after that, like Treacherous Three, Funky Four Plus One More, Disco Four, you know, all these guys sound like superheroes. Their names were larger than life. Grandmaster right. Flash and the Furious Five. Like and they weren't on the and for a lot of those albums, they weren't on the cover. Treacherous three, they weren't on the cover. Like who are these people with all these amazing skills? So in your mind, you have to kind of piece it together. Like nowadays, it's all about image. You know, Drake right. comes out with something, Nicki Minaj. It's all about, it, it's not a mystery who that person is singing because they're all over the, the internet. The, you know, you're inundated with them. But back then, they were uh, they were more of a, 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 a what do you call it, a, an enigma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that added to that whole element of uh, this Afro future. I mean, if I was to get that, you know, use that that title now. Back then, it wasn't even really. I didn't right. even look at it like that. I just knew this was like this is beyond even what people called it back then. That's why I I never even really just thought of it as uh, hood music or inner city music. To me, it was like this is coming from another world. That's how I always saw it, and I think that's because I had an interest in science fiction, uh, mystical places, you know, always wondered about the stars, what's out there. Um, so even when graffiti comes around, I look at the, t- the, the, the typography of the graffiti, because in Philly, you got the wickets, and that's you only see that in Philly, like the, the right. straight up and down wickets and all that stuff. And it's like, it's, it's amazing, like how it even, even evolved. So uh, when Public Enemy came along, what pu- the way Public Enemy insp- inspired me, like in 86, is that they came with the screeching sounds and all those crazy loops and all that stuff. And at the same time, they were talking about Malcolm X. They were talking about um, uh, Marcus Garvey, you know. And it, so basically, like, they reminded me of all the things my dad was teaching me, but they fused it with my love of hip hop. And I said, you know, I could do that with my art. I mean, I was already kind of doing it. But I wasn't going all out like that. But then when I, when Public Enemy came along, they made a lot of dudes get rid of the gold chains and start getting in the black medallions and the red, black and green. And a lot of sisters were going natural and all that stuff. Queen Latifah coming out with the crown and all that. And it was a, it was a movement like we were seeing ourselves moving into a whole nother realm. But a lot of that got gutted, you know, with a lot of the gangster music. Right. But during that, but see, I, I was being, my mind was being shaped during that era where it was like, we had the, the, uh, the, the, the grimy cuts and scratches and baby bambata shows and uh, in our, our town, you know, Jazzy Jeff and uh, right, yeah. DJ Cash Money and uh, Cosmic Kev, all those guys from Philly. Um, it was like uh, a movement, but I also saw power in it. And I right. said, this is, I used to tell people back in high school, this is going to liberate us. I said, all, all of this, this whole movement, it was bigger than hip hop because most of these rap records coming out during that time were independent. You had to find those records. We used to go down to the record store every week 
And if it just said enjoy records, he didn't even know what the record was. Buy it. It's, it's almost, dope. I bet you it's dope. Buy it. So that's what, to me, Brother Man really came out of all that energy. That's why when we came out, we were independent. We weren't worried about getting signed. We were going against the grain. All that was what the, mm-hmm. the early rap records did. Which is the same movement of like Oscar Micheaux of the of the, the uh, right. Negro sure. films, yeah, and, right. film. yeah, yeah. So those are tactics that that a lot of our people had to use for a long time because we were shut out of a lot of things. So we had to do it that way. There's also a, a joy in going against the grain and having success, knowing that man, we're building this thing ourselves, mm-hmm. right? You know? Right. I mean, the way the way you're talking about um, having to find the, the hip-hop music and stuff like that, it's almost akin to sort of like a, a very young Ronnie Wood and a very young Mick Jagger finding the blues. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when we, because a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the American blues artists from, from, from back in the day, um, a lot of their records flooded into the UK and, you know, and the UK helped bring rock and roll back to the States when the States had already had it. But, you know, they, they, you know, the UK was actually, UK music musicians mostly, are, mostly inspired by, you know, the likes of Robert Johnson and people like mm-hmm. that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind right. of a musician myself, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I yeah mean, that's true. It's, it's really interesting to hear you talk about this because, of course, that idea of, you know, sort of uniquely American, excuse me, who's in the voice, uh, uniquely American arts that are coming from African-Americans like jazz, like blues, like hip-hop, and like that sort of global phenomenon that they are now. And I think it's sometimes obscured how how powerful the creation of those those, those little birth moments are for the people who see it on the ground. And I think mm-hmm. that's another theme in Brother Man I, I really want to ask you about because the stories in Brother Man um, they are deeply rooted in the sort of black experience, black aesthetic, but they also have this 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 question of community and agency. Forgive me for using the academic word. Um, that's really important, and, and, and you even touched on this in, in terms of like how you got the comic out to people. Uh, one of the one of the recurring sort of arguments today is there's nothing um, diverse because the the sort of established producers aren't producing it. Yeah, there there is a long history of people like yourself producing things. And can you tell me a little bit about that experience in the in the early part? And what did you guys do to get Butterman out there? Because it was a known comic, right? It was yeah. known. Saw that comic. And well, it seems like you borrowed a little bit from the hip hop thing, but like, tell us more about that. Like, you know, I think it's the way the stars align, man. Like, <laughs> it, it it was the perfect time for everything. Okay. Um, you know, the mind state of the people was different. You know, the fact we didn't have in- internet gives you more uh, focus. Like now, you know, especially this generation, if somebody saw a YouTube video that was out three days ago, they'll say that's old. You know what I mean? Like. Right. It just came out. I just saw it today. Well, I saw it three days ago. That's old. And it's like, what? You know what I mean? So the, the attention span now is different where um, people are so quick to drop something, jump on something else. They say, oh, I've seen this already, seen that already. And then it's almost like um, the arts is not really revered the same way. It, it's not it's not savored. You know what I'm saying? Like. Just, okay. You know, just like that example of of Mick Jagger and them looking for looking for the jazz because it's not everywhere. It's like uh, it's like you're not not eating all the time, so you're looking forward to having dinner. But if all day long somebody give me a piece of cake and they say, "Oh, there's a pie over there," and you eating that pie, and then somebody say, "You want some of this? You want some of this?" So all day you're eating, you're not really looking forward to dinner like back in the day where we would all sit down with the family 
and dinner was a big deal. But now right. it's like, it's not a big deal. You know, not saying it, it, it'll ever really fade. It's just, you got to probably do more to make it special. Now you got to think differently to make it special. But back then, when you did special things, they were just special. Hip hop mm-hmm. was special. The rappers back then, they were special. You know what I mean? They, they weren't like a, a dime a dozen. They really had skills and they were different. When singers came out, the singers were so unique and different. Um, we liked people that were different, not people that were cookie cutter. You know what I mean? Um, and I think we came out during that era where when Brother Man came out, uh, it got a lot of, we got a lot of notoriety because it was unique. Um, we also had outlets because we had the Black Expo USA organization that was doing all these trade shows in different cities. But we also worked together as a family and everybody had each other's back where we built our own distribution base, where we had over 500 outlets that we dealt with uh, nationwide and abroad. Uh, How did you build uh, that network? Um, just one by one. Like, uh, it, it's just like now. We come out with a graphic novel, and some people want you to be everywhere overnight. And I said, well, the only way I'm going to be everywhere overnight is if somebody signs me to something, and I'm everywhere overnight, but I may not have complete ownership. Uh, when you're building something on your own, you may pick up a store here, you picked up a store there, you picked up a, a distribution company here that may get you into uh, a chain of stores in the city of Newark, New Jersey. Then you may get somebody over here who gets you into these black bookstores over here. Then you pick up somebody over here who can get you into a school district. You know, there's always all these different ways you, you can get your product out, but it may not be that one big thing like Barnes & Noble uh, or actually back then there was no Barnes & Noble. Right. Um, you know, the thing that makes you an overnight sensation, we didn't have that. So we had to build little at a time. So we go to the trade show, sell a ton of books, come home with money, take that money, buy more books. Like in the first year, we went we went from our first print run of 10,000 books to by the end of the year, we were at 40,000 books because we were reprinting Brother Man number one the second time. Number two was going to its, it's going into was in was in print and we were printing volume three. And that was all within a year. And then because Brother Man was unique. Arsenio Hall, they they found us through the San Francisco Chronicle, um, Dallas Morning News. They scooped it. They did the first major story. CNN Headline News did a story. I mean, I got so many uh, 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 media, you know, such as uh, Source Magazine, Vibe Magazine. We're in Parenting Magazine, USA Today. Um, we're on CBS News Night Watch, America's Most Wanted. We were like, I think, one of the only spots on America's Most Wanted where it was a positive story about a crime fighter as opposed to, like, you know, us being a criminal. It was right. about crime fighting and how it's in- inspiring children around the country. That, mm-hmm. a five-minute segment on on America's Most Wanted, man, the, the only thing that was lacking back then when you did when we did America's Most Wanted and Arsenio Hall and all that, if we didn't have internet, we're at the end. Go to brothermancomics.com. There was no dot .com. So, right. All these people knew about Brother Man, but didn't know where to get it. So I saw Brother Man on Arsenio, but I didn't think it was real. So people started rushing comic book stores. But then the comic book stores, they didn't know where to get it. So really, more people know about Brother Man than actually have it. And some people to this day say, I finally got Brother Man. You right. see what I mean? Because yeah. it's catching up to it. Really, there's more people that know about it than actually have it. So for us selling 750000 
when there's really millions of people that know about it, we really could have went further if we had greater access. That's why now we feel like with this relaunch, we're now going to tap into all those people that we didn't get and pick up all these new people because now you have children uh, that basically the children from back in the day who bought our books, they come up to me now and they're in their 30s and 40s giving Brother Man to their kids. Right. And that's the crazy thing about it. Mm-hmm. And of course, you you are selling all the old comics. Huh? You can go to oh yeah yeah we said, yeah those, um, you can go to the store and like yeah. they're all there. They'll sell forever. I've I've got a bit of a fun question for you if you don't mind. Um, if Julian sure. don't mind me uh, sure. yeah, in it. Um, if if Brotherman was to be sort of like made into a TV film or or, or a movie, um, who who what what actor could you actually see playing the role, the main role? Oh, that's, that, that is a fun question because that, that's one people have been asking us since the 90s. And we had movie deals. We had multiple movie deals on the table. Oh, I'm wow. talking about with, with major studios. And for one reason or other, you know, this didn't work out, that didn't work out. And looking at it retrospectively, I don't think it was time to do it back then because it, w- it was still in the incubation stage. You okay. know, it's like giving up your child before you have a chance to 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 uh, groom your child because if it gets so big right away and they groomed it um but as far as the actor i've always said this since back then and i still say it now whoever would play brother man for the most part the way that i would see it if you know uh if i have my way of doing it i would choose somebody that that People don't know that I don't even know who it is yet. Like, I would want to pick an unknown who really feels like this character. And if I do have well-known characters in it, I would rather have people then play specific parts. Sort of like how Star Wars, you know, when it came out, you had these unknowns. But that that's what helped make it feel like it was another place. Mm-hmm. Because, you you know, you're not. Uh, and because Brother Man has been out for so long, it's almost like every every couple of years, there's always some new hot black actor and somebody said hey that person can play brother man because when we first came out somebody said denzel you see what i'm saying like but here it is 20 years later you wouldn't say him and so to me it would have to be what's happening during that time who's out during that time because now you have new young actors who are in his age range but i may even look at them and say yeah but you know this guy's too polished Antonio Valor is, he's kind of like, I think of him as, you know, he hes he can look stern and aggressive, but he's also kind and kind and loving. Mm-hmm. And so he, there has to be somebody who can who can run the gamut of all those emotions and but look intimidating if he wants to look intimidating. But you can also feel protected by this person. And I sometimes look at certain actors and when people name name them, I'm like, well, I don't know. He just kind of doesn't seem, you know, like he really was bred right there in the heart of things and had seen some things, you right. know. Um, and, and and the character is more intricate than that because also it's not like he was in the hood and just saw like people getting shot. It's not even like that because in the book Revelation, the origin story, it was really about his parents and how young Antonio, his father was in a gang. His father ran his father was uh, basically had no family and ran with the gangs. When his mom, it, it that's what straightened his life out. And then it made him want to build a family. So young Antonio watched his father. He watched the thing his father go through because his father was an activist. And so when we say seeing the evil, the evil isn't necessarily seeing just criminals in the neighborhood, seeing the evils of politics, seeing the evils of things that are affecting the children. Seeing how families are being broken up and disbanded. You know, he's seeing all those things and he wants to do something about it. 
So to me, it's like I have to see I have to see that in a, a, a an actor. Can you really play that? Mm-hmm. Not just act like a cool brother because it it's beyond that. It's somebody who actually feels for his community and will die for it because that's what Paul's story is about. He doesn't have superpowers. He knows he will die. Yeah, you kind of you kind of got me thinking about um, perhaps a younger version of Idris Elba. Go. I think something well, like that. I would have to be in that space where okay, now we're looking for an actor, and then I would I think my mind will uh, switch into that gear. But right offhand, I don't really have anybody. It's not like oh yeah, I've always wanted this person. You know, I'm, I'm I just don't have that right now. But it's still fun to think about. I, I well, like you know, about. one of the things that I, I do wonder about is have you ever thought about Brother Man as an animated series? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I I just had a conversation with somebody today who said, "Would you do live action or animated?" I said, "I'm gonna do it all." I said, "Batman <laughs> wasn't one of the other. Batman was everything. Superman was everything. Spider Man everything. They don't do just animation. You know, you got." And then when they do animation, you got the Saturday morning. They they had the Saturday morning style. They had the serious animation style. You have yeah. the lightweight television show, and then they had the epic um, uh, theatrical and cinematic, um, you know, feature film. And then they do it again and again. Technology changes five years. Let's tell its origin again. And I and that's just from branding intellectual property and doing it over and over again. And to me, Brother Man is an intellectual property. It's not going to be done once. If if you know, say we get the movie done, that's the movie that I do that's done in my period of time. But my son's also a filmmaker. The success of the first one, we may say five years later, say you know what? Now we could do this. Now we can really build this out. Let's do. Let's tell the story all over again. But let's incorporate this technique with this and now we can now it looks even better than the first one wow okay mm-hmm. you know better still video game <laughs> video game yeah all that yeah and and you know and i've had that in mind since we first started brother man wasn't started to be a comic book series i'm not and i tell people i'm not a comic book artist i i just draw brother man i i i've been i've worked on a book recently uh first graphic novel i worked on outside of brother man was Monster by Walter Dean Myers, and that's published by Harper Collins. That's out now at Barnes and Noble. Okay. And but you know that was on request of the author Walter Dean Myers before he passed away. But I really only draw Brother Man, and I'm drawing Brother Man because it's the most uh, cost-efficient way to get a story out there. But I'm really more into multimedia. You know, we do music production. We we want to. I like to hit people with all the senses. The comic book is just a way to basically storyboard and get your concept out so people can know it. But then as they as they um, become invested into it, now it's time to move into the other realm, which. Uh, I'm actually looking more, uh, I'm actually more excited about going into the realm of filmmaking and the animation and games mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. That's great. <clears throat> uh, when you think about um, your your next, you said it's the beginning of like a trilogy. So mm-hmm. can you tell us about the, the next chapter? Well, the, um, well, I mean, I guess if anybody saw the, the, do you, you had the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, everybody been talking about the cliffhanger. It's it's, uh, it, it's getting a lot of great feedback. I mean, some people said they were even moved to tears from this book. I mean, not just from yeah. the cliffhanger, uh, throughout the book. Yeah, and well, you know, my said. first thought was like, when the next book coming out? Like, yeah, that's the first thing people say. Oh, when's the next book coming out? And and I'm always asking people to tell me. Hey, so what'd you think about the book overall? Because 
a lot of people are saying they've never seen anything like this in comic, but I always want to hear their words. Like, I know what I, you know, me and my brother and Brian, we know what we're trying to convey, but we want to know from the people, what did they get? Um, because where we go with book two uh, continues his life journey through stage two, because you know, Brother Man has no superpowers. His power comes from his life, like uh, his journey in life, like like all of us. You know, we, we walk a journey. You know, we had some of us had a lot of love in the home growing up. Some of us had no love coming up. Some of us maybe had half and half, right. you know, um, and all those things created our insecurities or our aggressions or our confidence or our lack of confidence. But when you meet people, you may say, man, this this guy, he's, you know, he's arrogant. But then you have to, but then when you dig into their history, you find out why this person is arrogant. And that's what we like to do in Brother Man. We like to go into characters' history so then you understand why the villains are the villains or you understand why the main guy is who he is. So in book two, you know, I really can't give it away because book one, they really got to get into book one for me to go into book two. But right. it's just the continuation of, like, book one is basically Antonio around age 17. Book two is him in his uh, early 20s and then book three becoming Brother Man. And so it's it's broken up into those those three tiers. And so the, you, you funded this first volume revelation with a Kickstarter. Uh, yeah, Indiegogo. Right? Yeah. It actually, it was Indiegogo. Indiegogo, um, sorry. Oh, that's wrong okay. brand. Yeah, Indiegogo. Um, are you gearing up for another, or did you um, find I, I, I don't know. I mean, I said if I did a, if I did it again, and it's just for me personal, uh, I would want a, like, a campaign manager. Somebody to do that. Because that was tough. That was tough. Mm. And actually, when we think about it, we did a lot in one year. Was, we started a book. Even though the book, we've been working on it for years. Like, we did the storyboards. Like, the whole trilogy is roughed out. But even with the roughs, it's still a lot of work. And last year, we started it in April. We didn't really start that whole book until April. I mean, the real cleanups and getting it done. We did the campaign, I think, in May. Uh and then, you know, so then, you know, when the campaign, you got to manage the campaign, you got to write right. people back, you got to thank people. We're drawing the book all at the same time. And then when the book is almost ready to drop or drops, you got to follow up and get everything to everybody. And um, and then, you know, everybody wants to tell you how you should have done the campaign. Hey, you could do this. Hey, you should do that. And that's like, I'm not saying I would or wouldn't. I'm just saying, like, I'm really trying to get the book done. <laughs> and I'm just trying to get things done the best that, that I can. But I'm, we're basically just a small team. And I don't even really have time for this. So I think we did good considering it was all new to us. And we didn't really know all the best ways to do it. So I said, next time I do it, I want somebody who... That's their thing. They like doing this. And I say, hey, can you, can you head this up for us? If I don't get that, then we may just do it on the raw energy because now the book one is out. It's basically, you know, it, we're building it up. It's rolling. Right, yeah. Did, did the uh, campaign succeed the first time out? Because, um, you know, I've, I've actually helped out uh, various comic book creators by press releases and interviews and stuff like that. They've run Kickstarter campaigns. And there's been times where they've not succeeded the first time out, but they succeed in getting the funds they need the second time out. Um, so did you succeed the first time out? Yeah, we were looking not only to produce the book, we wanted to market the book. We Like the book comes out, we want to be able to say, hey, we got enough money to do a marketing campaign. And right. basically, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I turned down freelance work 
And I was just living off my life savings to get this book done um, during that time. So I said, you know, we need money. So then uh, we can really do this thing correct. Like, um, but, you know, we, we got $11,000 and, you know, hey, I don't turn my nose up to it. I said, hey, that, that helped. that's what helped us go to print. You know, then we didn't we weren't able to do all these other things that we wanted to do. And we basically did the book off of raw energy like we did before. And I mean, I draw that I drew that book basically not doing anything else. That that's like getting up up till four or five. Sometimes I'll, I'll go to bed nine o'clock in the morning, get up at twelve or one, and keep going. That's how book one was done. But when I did the original series, I go into production mode. I, I get like that. I don't want to go to bed until this whole page is done. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the so the campaign it was helpful. Uh, and one reason why we did Indiegogo is because I didn't want to get to a certain point where we did want something and you're five dollars short. And I like to think, like, say I'm thinking um, uh, negatively, but it's like we need we, we needed some funds and Indiegogo at least allows you to keep whatever you have. But, right. you know, you have to deliver. Uh, and but we, we knew we were going to deliver. So that that was uh, without question. Uh, and, you know, some people, they have their success with Kickstarter and all that. And I said, well, you know, I, I wish I had somebody like that on my team who can just handle that because we're we're all doing a bunch of things all at the same time. And so the. The Indiegogo campaign was it was huge. It was complicated and it was stressful. But, you know, that's the way I work anyway. I'm like, I do what I got to do to get it done. But it may not be the best. It may not be the way other people say, oh, you should have done this and done that. And it's always easy for other people to sit back and tell you what you should do. But they're not doing everything that you're doing. Right. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. (laughs) Yeah, that's frustrating right there because I never tell people what they should do. If they ask me for advice. I, I'll I'll let them know, but the fact that people are doing something and they're trying, I give them props for that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, is there um, when you look at the comic landscape, it's changed a lot since you first started, Brother Man, mm-hmm. and arguably there are really impressive creators of color out there. Is there something that's caught your eye that you're like, yeah, I really like this. This really sort of like is what you what I'm I'm looking for. Um. Well, I think. What it is, it's like uh, I haven't really been in the mode of uh, buying. Okay. And that's only because I've just been so inundated with producing. You know, like after getting this one book out, it's like now all of a sudden I'm I'm on, I got to get book two out. And, you know, I support other creators um, the best I can when I can, but... I don't feel like I'm in that space where I can really do that because Big City has always been a like the beast that you have to feed. Right. It, takes, it takes everything out of you. Some people don't realize, oh, man, I mean, just just taking $25 and putting it towards this. I really can't because everything has to go in here. And that's just the company. I'm not talking about my, you know, um, taking care of myself. And I'm not saying like, you know, everything's bad. It's just I got to maintain this in order for this thing to happen. Because right. I don't have backers, you know what I'm saying. So everything has to to recite recycle. But um, but you know, this, I have a rapport with a lot of uh, black creators, and there's there's so many. It's hard for me to really say like it's it's really hard for me to say um, who's specific because there's a lot of people that I admire, and there's a lot of people that um, you know whose work I collect. I just can't think. Sometimes I draw a blank when I'm on the spot because I have to think of my collection, you know. When you um, think about your schedule coming up, like where are you going to be? If, if there's a place that people can sort of see you, are you on the road with Brother Man? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, um, actually, I do have a schedule. I don't have it in front of me. Um, okay, find it at your website? Um, actually, I, we, we will be posting it up. 
Um, I've been doing some universities, like speaking at some universities. Matter of fact, I got to speak at SCAD in two weeks, uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, and I have some other schools that I'm going to be doing um, that, that are bringing me in to speak because I also do a lecture circuit. Right. So school, some schools, they, you know, um, and I'm trying to do more of that where schools bring you on, they, they pay you to, to do lectures. And that's actually a, a uh, a very good way to sustain what you're doing while you're working on your book to generate right. revenue um, because you're sharing your story. You're getting paid to share your story or to do workshops or things like that. Um, and, you know, that that can really uh, be helpful during this time. We are going to be at the New York Comic Con later on this year for Afro Future Fest. Okay. And uh, that, that's not promoted yet definitely because I, I guess there's some things they still have to set up. There's a lot of things in between. I don't have the schedule in front of me. I, I can't think of it like right offhand. No problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people can check it out at Brother Man Comics, right? Buttermancomics.com. Yeah. Buttermancomics.com. Yeah, plus, we uh, we all know you're going to be at New York Comic Con, right? You know, right about now. And I'm, you know, I actually know a couple of people that go to New York Comic Con fairly regularly. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, oh, we just got on a uh, Comixology. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Great. Digital download. And, and and the cool thing about it, the co-founder wrote us and said he was he was already a fan of Brother Man, and, and he sent us a link to his Tumblr page from two years ago where he promoted Brother Man. And I was wow. like, wow, you know. Um, yeah. And we also got on Amazon and Bar- Barnes and Noble, so you can find Brother Man Revelation on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Comicsology, and like I said, we're still building our distribution base, so we're we're going to be um, getting on other. Uh, digital downloads, di- other book distributors, and as we pick them up, we'll be blowing those up as well. Cool. Well, I'm going to check you out on um, on, on Comixology because, um, I, you know, I, I've not really read Brother Man. I just saw I've been browsing through your website uh, mm-hmm. right to, and uh, I was kind of into the music that you had in the background of the... Uh, of 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 the song, the the commercials that you had on on YouTube, I was kind of kind of into the African music beat, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because I actually had my Stratocaster strapped to mm-hmm. me, and I was kind of like strumming along to that. <laughs> I think oh, I think stuff. Yeah, too. yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, we have like a distinct sound uh, for Brother Man, right? Yeah. Uh, and we have like a history to it. You know, like not only a history to Big City, we have a history to the music. It's funny that you mentioned Sun Ra earlier. Because I remember growing up in Philly, seeing all those um, Sun Ra and his intergalactic orchestra. Right, yeah. And, um, and that was part of the influence to the big city Metropolitan Orchestra, which is, our, which is the band in, it's basically like the London Symphony Orchestra or New York Philharmonica in big city. Right. It's called the Big City Metropolitan Orchestra. But it's, it's kind of a fusion between theatrical, heavy strings, you know, grimy beats, soulful rhythms. You know, um, uh, handmade instruments, and they all have their own story too, because all the all the characters within the band are characters, are, are actual people. It's much like when Gorillas came out, because we were on this years years before that, and when Gorillas came out, I said that's what I was talking about. You have characters who you have real music produced, but there's actual characters. But on the Metropolitan Orchestra, these these characters will have some really like compelling stories to tell, right. like almost like behind behind the music. But we just didn't get to that part yet. But that's coming, right? Oh yeah, all that's coming. Man, we got so much. The universe, the big city, is so deep. When people, when it, when we really start putting it out. 
people will see. The, the only spinoff we have right now is the, the series of novels that my brother put out called The Cold Hard Cases of Duke Denham. Right. And, yeah, those are the crime stories, and it and it's a retro big city because it's Duke Denham, who's Antonio Valor's boss when he was younger, when he was a detective before he became the DA. Okay. And um, so it's big city of old. It still relates to the subway map and the ideologies of big city, but now you're just reading it uh, as a novel. And and the fourth one is about to come out, uh, I believe it's this month. Oh, wow. And that's available through your store. Yes, that's at brothermancomics.com and also at BCE Pressworks. Okay. That's the site that my brother Guy runs. Awesome. Well, Ian, do you have uh, any other questions? Um, no, I, I think I, I think I'm done. Um, but I would say I've, I've actually quite enjoyed learning about the uh, about Brotherman and um, and um, what what you said about hip hop kind of resonated. Um, Ian, like, on, uh, about people discovering hip-hop because as as a guitarist I've only been doing music myself for three years mm-hmm. and uh, you know what you said about discovering hip-hop is kind of like uh, discovering the study of riffs when you're mm-hmm. like learning guitar riffs <laughs> so. mm-hmm. well and actually too I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about that because actually in a lot of interviews they don't ask me about that aspect of this. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll ask me, how did Brother Man start? And it's usually just about the comics. But Brother Man was not really... The comic book was the medium to tell the story, but it wasn't right. birthed out of comics. And yeah. usually people don't ask about what birthed it. And what birthed it was... The, the activism in the city, the the things that we, um, the, you know, um, right, yeah. experienced growing up in Philly, you know, the love of family. Because even when you talk about the city, a lot of times people just think gangsterhood criminals. But when we think of the city, I think of families. I think of uh, uh, people uh, being creative, thinking outside the box. You have right, people yeah. that live in the city and they're lonely. In a city of millions of people, how do you not have any friends? That's real. So right, yeah. that's why in the stories in Brother Man, we deal with, you know, Donald Urbane, who's an art thief. You know, it's just all different types of things. Block and the twins and Block, his name's Edison Pratt. But he's a, he's, you know, he's an outcast. Like he doesn't have any friends. Right. You yeah. know? So so that's no. what I'm saying. Like a lot of that came from things that had nothing to do with comics. But you're taking these attributes and you're putting it into a comic. Right. And a lot of people, they don't really ask or explore that aspect. So that was kind of fun to be able to, to share that with you all. Well, you know, I, you know, for me, studying comics, it's obvious that, that there's a, there's a deep world building in Brother Man. It's always been something that sort of leaped out at me. And it's really great to get a chance to ask you about it and mm-hmm. uh, hear your answers because I, you know, I do think that there's a complicated, world in Philadelphia that's informing that. Like, you think about things like Operation Push and mm-hmm. uh, some of the some complexities of, of, of the politics and social landscape in the 1980s in a place like Philly. I mean, that's a, that's a story all its own. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I really urge people, um, if you... And a lot, and you know, one of the things a lot of people have heard of Brother Man, but this is an opportunity to sort of like get the story. Um, and so definitely check out Brother Man Comics and look for for you on tour. I mean, I, I realize you were doing lectures now, and that's a great thing. I think a lot of students today will really find a lot in, inspirational in what you're where you're talking about, especially the origin of Brother Man telling that story. So it's really, really great to have you at Sci-Fi Pulse um, Radio Show. Yeah, I appreciate it. And and I do notice, like, whenever we do um, presentations and lectures, when the lectures are over, they they it's like they don't even want us to leave. (laughs) It's like almost every school, every program that we the teachers say half the kids who usually don't pay attention 
or some of the trouble kids in class. They're the ones that were asking all the questions and excited and stuff. And I said, that's what we do this for because I know those kids. I know kids like them. You know what I'm saying? And I, right, and yeah. I, I know it's going to appeal to them like that because a lot of them feel ignored and feel like nobody really celebrates them. Brother man celebrates them, and they feel that. Right. So that's why I, I already know. I'm, I'm not foreign to those kids. Right. You know? right. And I think that's a, a great place to end it. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, thanks to Ian for sort of uh, starting, giving me an opportunity to talk about um, African-American and people of color creators, like Beyond Impossible is something we'll try to keep up doing, is add it to the, the lineup on Sci-Fi Pulse. Now, so thank you, Dawood. Ha! Dawood Thanks for having me on on behalf of, uh, of my brother Guy and, and my friend Brian and the rest of the Big City Entertainment team. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody, this is Nick Tarabay, uh, Asher, and uh, Spartacus got to the arena, Spartacus Blood and Sand, and the new Spartacus as well. And uh, I'm here at SFP now. Keep listening and keep watching. Thank you so much. Well, about wraps things up for this week. Um, you know, I'd like to thank Julian Chambers for his contribution. That he'll be back next month. Um, with another great interview from the, from the world of independent comics, so you know you've got that to look forward to. Um, also, I'd like to thank Reese and Craig for joining me on on this show. Um, I know that they're kind of like um, kind of a regular fixture, but you know they they give up quite a lot of time to do this with me, and you know that their contribution really has to be acknowledged. Um, but that's it for this week. Um, we'll be back at you again in a couple of weeks' time with um, another great interview, we hope. And, um, you know, even more conversation. It's funny, actually, because just a couple of hours ago I was talking about Supergirl. It turns out it's been renewed. So that actually broke, as you know, that actually broke while we are recording this show, um, strangely enough. Um, so... You know that's great news for uh, for fan, fans of that series that it's going to get another se- that's going to get another season. Um, let's hope it picks up in the ratings somewhat. Um, but that's it for now. Um, I've got a fly, and we'll be back at you again in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.